Recently, I was out of town and away from my local church, and I was watching a sermon on TV being delivered by a local pastor from the city in, in which I was staying. This is a very popular pastor in the city and the head of a large church with several satellite campuses. So he was speaking to thousands of people. And in the course of his sermon, he made a statement that I found to be deeply problematic. He said, quote, those who come to God must be willing to take a step of faith that is in part unreasonable, end quote. Now he had the word unreasonable projected on the screen in all caps, bold and underlined. He then went on to say this, and I quote, if it were only always reasonable, what then would be the point of faith, end quote. So he was saying that you have a choice to make. It's going to be faith or it's going to be reason. You're either going to be guided by reason or guided by faith. Apparently, it can't be both. So here we have an evangelical Christian pastor with significant influence over thousands of people, implicitly perpetuating the idea that there exists a conflict between faith and reason, that faith is contrary to reason. Now, if you've been following this series so far, you'll know that this is just an unfortunate and sadly all too common confusion. As I've tried to show over the course of three episodes, faith properly understood is not contrary to reason. Faith is contrary to sight. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say that faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are unreasonable, but rather of things that are not seen. And as I've tried to show, faith is a mode of knowing that relies on the testimony of another rather than that which is seen through sensation or intellection. We exercise faith when believing something we cannot see, either with the eye of sensation, by which we know beings in the world, or with the eye of the intellect, by which we understand first principles and what follows from them. It is critical for us to understand that believing something in the absence of sight is not the same as believing something in the absence of reason. It is always appropriate and rational to believe something in the absence of sight when that belief is based on the testimony of a trustworthy witness. It is never appropriate or rational to believe something in the absence of reason. We ought never to believe something that is unreasonable. Now, there are things that go beyond reason, things that are supra-rational, things we cannot fully comprehend with our finite intellects. But once again, believing something that is beyond reason is not the same as believing something that is unreasonable. Believing something that is supra-rational is not the same as believing something that is irrational. Many of the things that we believe as Christians are beyond the ability of our intellects to fully comprehend. Our finite minds can never fully comprehend the infinite God. Yet it is reasonable for us to believe things that we cannot fully comprehend for ourselves as long as we rely on the testimony of one who can comprehend them and who can therefore bear witness to them. So, when properly understood, there is no conflict between the notion of faith and the notion of reason as such. The truth of the matter is that the relationship between Christian faith and reason is not one of conflict. It's one of harmony. In fact, despite what we hear all the time from well-meaning pastors, Christian faith is not in any way a blind an illogical or an irrational faith. Rather, Christian faith is an eminently reasonable faith.
Last time I talked about how supernatural faith is fundamentally grounded in the witness of the Holy Spirit. We looked at several places in Scripture in support of this idea. The Apostle John is especially clear about the testimony of the Spirit in his first epistle. There he writes, quote, By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. And again, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit, end quote. That's in 1 John 3.24 and then 4.13. According to John, the Spirit working within the believer is the ultimate source of the believer's confident knowledge of the truth. And in the last episode, I also pointed out that there cannot possibly be a greater source of evidence, proof, or confirmation for a person's faith than the direct witness of the Holy Spirit for the person who has that witness. Now, Last time we looked at a portion of 1 John chapter 5. I think it will be instructive for us to consider the entirety of the passage here. Quote, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. End quote. That's from 1 John 5, 6 through 10. Now, when John talks about the water and the blood here, he's almost certainly referring to Jesus' baptism, which occurred at the beginning of his ministry, and to the crucifixion of Jesus which was the culmination of his ministry. So these two events were the bookends of the ministry of Jesus. And when he talks about receiving the testimony of men, here he's almost certainly referring to the apostolic testimony concerning the life and ministry of Christ, apostolic witness of which John himself contributed as a disciple of Jesus. Now notice what John says. He goes on to say that the testimony of the Spirit, which the believer has in himself, is even greater than the apostolic testimony itself, or the testimony of men. John is telling his first century readers that the testimony of the Spirit at work within them provides even stronger warrant for their belief in Christ than does his own eyewitness testimony. I mean, this really is a remarkable passage. The writers of the New Testament believed that supernatural faith is a reasonable faith precisely because it is grounded in the direct, immediate, and internal work of the Spirit who testifies to us, to the truth of the Gospel and to Scripture. William Lane Craig has referred to the testimony of the Spirit within the life of the believer as being self-authenticating. By self-authenticating, he means, quote, that the experience of the Holy Spirit is veridical and unmistakable, though not necessarily irresistible or indubitable for him who has it. That such a person does not need supplementary arguments or evidence in order to know and to know with confidence that he is in fact experiencing the Spirit of God. That such experience does not function in this case as a premise in any argument from religious experience to God, but rather is the immediate experiencing of God himself. That in certain contexts, the experience of the Holy Spirit will imply the apprehension of certain truths of the Christian religion. 
that such an experience provides one not only with the subjective assurance of Christianity's truth, but with objective knowledge of that truth, and that arguments and evidence incompatible with that truth are overwhelmed by the experience of the Holy Spirit for him who attends fully to it. End quote. As Craig points out here, since the witness of the Spirit is self-authenticating, the Christian believer who has it does not require supplementary arguments or external confirmations in order for his faith to be rationally warranted. Moreover, he says that because the internal witness of the Spirit is so powerful for the one who fully attends to it, it can trump any contrary evidence and argument that might be brought against the Christian faith. The philosopher Alvin Plantica has referred to this kind of exceptionally warranted belief as an intrinsic defeater defeater because the original belief is so strongly warranted that it defeats any ostensible defeaters brought against it. Now Plantica argues that a belief can have so much rational warrant for the person that holds it that it overwhelms whatever warrant contrary arguments may have. To illustrate the idea, he goes on to consider the case of an innocent man who is on trial for murder. During the trial, the prosecution produces incredibly damning evidence against the defendant. Forensic eyewitness testimony, video recordings. And yet, despite all of this, the innocent defendant knows that he did not commit the crime. And this knowledge that he has defeats whatever evidence is brought against him to prove otherwise. In like fashion, the Christian who enjoys the witness of the Spirit has such powerful rational warrant for his faith that it can trump any and all arguments or evidence that's brought against it. Now, it's important to understand that a faith grounded in the direct witness of the Holy Spirit is not a species of fideism. Fideism is belief held in the absence of evidence and reason. It's the technical word for what we commonly call blind faith. As we've seen, faith that is grounded in the witness of the Spirit enjoys rational warrant for the one who has it, and is therefore completely reasonable. Again, there cannot be a better source of rational warrant for Christian belief than the self-disclosure of God himself within the soul of the believer. So, supernatural faith is not a blind leap in the dark, it's not a lack of critical thinking, it's not belief without evidence or belief without sufficient evidence, and it's certainly not irrational or unreasonable. Now, what I've said so far, I think, leads us to two important questions. The first is, what role, then, does evidence and arguments have in the life of the believer who has the witness of the Spirit? And the second is, how can the believer whose faith is fundamentally grounded in the witness of the Spirit demonstrate the reasonableness of his faith to others? Now, in answer to these questions, I think it's helpful to distinguish between knowing that Christianity is true on the one hand and showing that Christianity is true on the other. As we've seen, when it comes to knowing that Christianity is true, believers fundamentally rely on the direct, immediate, and internal witness of God himself. This does not mean, however, that there is no place for arguments and evidence for the one who has the witness of the Spirit. Arguments and evidence for the truth of Christianity can function as a source of confirmation for what we believe. Craig writes, quote, A person who knows that Christianity is true on the basis of the witness of the Spirit may also have a sound apologetic which reinforces or confirms for him the Spirit's witness. 
but it does not serve as the basis of his belief. If the arguments of natural theology and Christian evidence are successful, then Christian belief is warranted by such arguments and evidences for the person who grasps them, even if that person would still be warranted in their absence. Such a person is doubly warranted in his Christian belief, in the sense that he enjoys two sources of warrant, end quote. Now, when it comes to showing that Christianity is true, here the use of arguments and evidence is absolutely essential. Since as believers, we can't share our personal experience of the Holy Spirit with anyone else, if we want to prove to another that our faith is true, we'll have to appeal to arguments, evidences, and external confirmations. And this is the task of Christian apologetics, or the project of defending and demonstrating the truth of Christianity by the use of reason, argument, evidence. Now, as it turns out, there are many very good reasons to believe in God and in Christianity. Christian apologetics is as old as Christianity itself, and over the last two millennia, the Church has amassed a wealth of cogent arguments and compelling evidence for the faith, from fields like philosophy, history, and science. Now, the fact that there is such an abundance of rational corroboration and confirmatory evidence for the truth of Christianity should not surprise us. In fact, it's to be expected. The same God who reveals himself in Scripture is also responsible both for the existence of the natural world and for the rational capacities of the human mind, which is able to know and understand that world. In other words, faith and reason are complementary precisely because they have the same author. They come from the same source. So, as believers, we know the truth of Christianity primarily through the self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit. But we show or demonstrate the truth of Christianity through the presentation of arguments and evidence. Hopefully you can now see why the idea that Christian faith is somehow contrary to reason or is to some extent irrational is just so confused. Although faith is inherently contrary to sight, there is no inherent conflict between faith and reason. In fact, far from being irrational, the believer whose faith is grounded in the witness of the Spirit has a faith that is buttressed by a powerful internal source of rational warrant. Moreover, the believer who attends to both the witness of the Spirit and to the deliverances of reason can have a faith that is doubly warranted. The believer has two independent sources of warrant for his faith. So let me close this episode with an appeal to pastors everywhere. Please stop representing the relationship of faith and reason as one of conflict or contrariety. Ours is not a blind faith, but a rational faith, a warranted faith, a reasonable faith.